0: Welcome to Pragmatic Live, the podcast for product people. I'm Mark Stiving, a Pragmatic Marketing instructor and sometimes host of this podcast. Today we're joined by a fantastic guest. In the world of pricing, there are only a few superstars, and today we have one of them, Craig Zawada. Craig was a consultant and partner at McKinsey for over 13 years, where he specialized in pricing. He then became, and still is, the Chief Visionary Officer for Pros a pricing science company. Craig writes, he speaks, he's brilliant, and we are grateful to have him with us today. Welcome, Craig.
1: Oh, thanks, Mark. Wow, we didn't expect that. Thank you very much.
0: <laughs> it's, it's all true, though. It's all true.
1: <laughs> well, thanks for inviting me uh, to the podcast. Look forward to it.
0: So are we. So tell us, how did you get where you are? I mean, how did you get into pricing? It happens to be my favorite topic, but but how did you get here?
1: Uh, the way I got here, I was uh, did a internship when I was in university, and it was in consulting. And we did lots of different work, strategy, marketing, and I did a pricing work for a it was a door skin manufacturer. So they make uh, doors and sell the skins, the wood skins, up in Canada. Hmm. And uh, and that was just it was fascinating because we did some research. We figured out which products they could go up, which products they should go down. And, you know, as a consultant, you, you kind of don't necessarily look forward to the call when you call the client in six or 12 months and say, how did it go? Because, you know, sometimes work, it takes too long, or it, maybe it's not clear the value. And the value is very clear. They're like, oh, profits are up, and we're selling more of these products. And and to me, it was like, wow, that was, uh, uh, it was pretty fascinating. And, you know, thinking of the world, the pricing back then in the early 90s, there wasn't a lot of teaching around it not a lot of science and i thought boy this would be a great area to to focus on as a profession so uh, that's how i started
0: well so i'd have to say that it was the being able to see the impact so clearly was what what was the big attraction there
1: yeah that was that was the huge attraction and it's measurable it's very strategic it it pays for all of the other innovations that you make in a company and you know, still today, I think the, in, in the companies that do invest in pricing, if you look at some of the the innovators in pricing, they would say, you know, you can never be too good at it. Uh, you can always, you know, be more precise, uh, more understanding. And, and so there's been you know, innovative companies that have just they've had huge groups in pricing. They invest in, you know, the latest approaches. They have scientists around it and. It's something that you can can really never be too good at.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating because we never get it perfect. There's always something else we can tweak or get a little bit better here or there. The, yeah. other, the other thing that strikes me at is, you know, you go back a bunch of years and say, you know, pricing was in its nascent and nobody really understood it. Even today, I talk to lots and lots of companies where pricing just isn't well understood or it just isn't not it isn't top of mind to them or important to them. Do you see the same yeah. thing?
1: Yeah, I would say it's not top of mind. And in many cases, you know, people or companies believe that, well, there's not a lot we can do about it. It's sort of dictated by the market or the competition. So it just happens, right? And you don't want to be too low or too high. But, you know, in in between, you you sort of just let it happen. You let uh, the negotiations happen with sales and what comes out of it. So the result of the market conditions and competitive conditions. But I think, you know, those companies that do focus on it, they spend a lot of time, they understand it well, recognize that, number one, it is manageable. And number two, even small improvements have a huge impact on profitability and allow, you know, from a product management standpoint, to reinvest that money towards new innovations.
0: Yeah, the other thing I find is the companies who really do understand pricing in order to do pricing well, they have to do their business well. They have to understand their customers and their market segments that they're actually targeting and what the customers value. And right. And so all of this comes into play when you start thinking about pricing. And companies who don't think about pricing tend, tend to miss a lot of business basics.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's a great point. It's a great point. You know, where an example, one analysis that I've done uh, numerous times is looking at You know, if you look at a product and um, the range of prices or margins that are out there, where you're winning at higher prices, where you're winning, but at lower prices, what are the differences between those customers? And sometimes, you know, there are things that come out of it that uh, are a bit counterintuitive. So you think, oh, low prices, is all the large customers. Well, not necessarily. There may be some large customers that, you know, do value the assurance of supply and, and other things and, and, um, and understanding those attributes of what actually drives willingness to pay, gives some insight into, Hey, here are the things that, that really matter about your product.
0: Yeah, ab- absolutely. So, so you've been in pricing for a very long time now. I'm I, not trying to insult your age. <laughs> <That's hard>. <laughs> <laughs> how, how is pricing changing over the years? What's, what's happening? You know,
1: what what I've seen is there's been some phases of pricing in the pricing profession. And um, I would say there's been four major, uh, you know, I call them big ideas that have happened in pricing. And um, and then a fifth one that's just emerging. So um, the first one was in 1992 and um, HBR. There were some colleagues at McKinsey. They wrote an article called Managing Price, Gaining Profit. And there were two big ideas that came out of that. Uh, first is that small improvements in price have a huge impact on the bottom line. so if you're trying to improve pricing, it's not about you know finding five or ten percent in price. If you could just get one or two percent, you're a hero within the company and so understanding the economics of pricing and, and the sensitivity of profits to price you know was one big idea that came out of it. And then the second big idea was that when you talk about pricing, you have to define price. So it's not necessarily list price. And what this article defines called pocket price. So what's left in your pocket after all of the discounts, terms and conditions and what many companies, I think this was an eye opener that, hey, this has a huge impact and let's define the right level of price and understand all of these leakages that are happening. So, you know, the companies in the early 90s started to look at pricing and and understand these two things. But pricing really didn't take off as a profession until I would say the 2000s. And the thing that the big idea there was I have a problem. So when there was consulting firms that came up, internal pricing groups, and one of the core analyses that's done is if you if you plot on the Y axis, your pocket price. And on the X axis, your customer's annual revenue and you plot, well, where, where do all of them land on the scatter plot? And any B2B company that did this analysis was sort of shocked by a virtual shotgun blast that the, you know, the basic assumption about price and volume doesn't necessarily uh, take into account. And so um, the typical reaction to this big idea was I have a problem. And therefore, I need to manage it. And so if you think of, in, if you've been in product manager in the 2000, 2010 frame, you notice a lot of companies, you know, they put a lot of analysis around the problem. They reduced the authority levels in pricing. Uh, they controlled pricing with organizational structure, you know, or even did like Six Sigma projects around it. Now, the, the problem with that is um, that it kind of took Uh, away some of the closeness to the customer. It's more of like a finance management problem as opposed to understanding uh, the customer aspect around it. And so, you know, often you would have conflict between product management and sales and and other things that were going on because finance and product management didn't necessarily want to, you know, give the brand or the profitability away to the sales force. Uh, But then in doing that, it sort of lost touch in some respects, the understanding of the customer and what was there. And so
0: just, so Craig, let me, let me clarify a couple of things if I can real fast. Um, just so that everybody's on the same page, pocket price is essentially the list price and then what the customer actually paid. And then we take off the cost of serving the customer and we end up with how much money do we put in our pocket?
1: Exactly. Exactly. Okay. What's left in your pocket after all of that. And those discounts, co- terms and conditions, um, you know, cost to serve that customer. Yeah, that's.
0: Yeah, and those cost left. to serve things are often things that our salespeople use to negotiate
1: with. Exactly. So, and, yeah, they may look good on one measure of price, but when you look at what's actually left in your pocket, it's a much different picture.
0: Right. So then we jump into phase two and what we're saying is salespeople are all over the place. There doesn't seem to be a system. It just doesn't make sense. We ought to be getting more when people buy less. What's going on? And then they put systems in place to try to fix that problem.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And the, you know, the, um, the next phase that I'd say has happened is, you know, wait a second, can we apply science to the problem? So let's not necessarily try to put management controls to, you know, manage a scatterpot. Can we apply science to maybe give guidance to the sales force to say, hey, you're in this situation and uh, you should be targeting this price given all of these attributes? And so, you know, that was the next phase of it, which is, I would say the last 10 years, a lot of companies have you know, move. They they still have the controls in place and are managing price through analytics and other things, but are then looking at okay, how do we how do we really get more informed and apply science to this pricing problem? So, you know, what you talked about, Mark, early on of, you know, what are the attributes? Why are we winning? And and that's a, the the problem is if that that's okay to understand, but how do you deliver that when people are actually making pricing decisions? So. If you run that analysis after the fact, it's kind of too late. So what pricing organizations need to do is run the analysis, but then deliver that guidance to the sales per- person when they need that guidance when they're negotiating the deal. Yes. Yeah, so that's you know, that's I would say up until now, that's the the phases that are that are happening. And what, what we're seeing recently is kind of a new phase. So all of those things make sense. And when I say applying science to pricing, it means, you know, all of the other phases still make sense. You need to understand the sensitivity to profits. You need to measure the right price. You need to apply science to it. But what we're seeing in the next phase is more of a customer-driven pricing phase. And, you know, I would describe this as the Amazon effect where... <coughs> The expectations around pricing are changing. So a lot of B2B companies, the way they manage prices, there's kind of speed bumps in the process. So even though I'm giving guidance that's scientifically driven, uh, I still have approvals that have to happen. You know, if it goes below a margin, it has to go to the product management or to the sales management or higher up. And the problem with that is that comes at the cost of speed. So I'll give you an example of this. Is HP has been a customer of ours for a number of years, and they made the decision to <laughs> invest in uh, pricing technology not because there was a margin improvement opportunity. It was because they were disadvantaged by the resellers because they were taking too long to actually get a price out there. And so they did a, an analysis that found that if they responded in more than two hours, their win rate dropped by forty percent. Hmm. And so um and, and a time in motion study found that sixty-eight percent of the time was taken through pricing. So it was either, you know, checking the accuracy of pricing or it was getting these approvals through various levels within the company. <clears throat> and the resellers, in many cases, if they had a customer that Needed something right away, and they needed a quote. They wouldn't even send the quote to HP because they knew it would take too long, you know, to respond to it. And so, uh, I think that's a, a new mindset that a lot of companies that have these processes. And I think this affects product management in particular. You know, if you're <clears throat> if you're relying on getting that last look of pricing from the sales force out there, if it's below a certain amount or or in all cases you have to question, you know, what's the cost of that from a customer standpoint? Because, you know, the people that buy at home, our consumers at home, especially the younger generation, uh, also expect that in the B2B world, they expect fair pricing uh, to be able to get that on the spot and transact on that price. And unfortunately, a lot of B2B companies, they don't have the infrastructure to actually deliver on that promise. Um, but you know, there's been a lot of research that um, if you're the first to quote the price, you have a greater than fifty percent chance of winning. Um, and um, and then if you you know, if you have prices on the web, it's more effective than you know having this long, convoluted negotiation and sales process. So now,
0: what's oh, go ahead. what I find fascinating about what you just described to us is if you go back to that phase two, where you said, hey, we're putting systems in place to try to get control of the scatter plot. And we go to this last phase, which is, hey, our systems are causing us to slow down the the pace of doing business. It's making yep. it harder to do business with us. And-
1: exactly. And I and I think, you know, five, ten years ago, that was okay because buyers had the expectation of, hey, I have to wait, and especially if I want a good price, I need to wait. You know, but that expectation is changing. And now it's um, and we've had some of our customers, they found when they can respond quickly. um, And and there's always a concern of putting a price out there uh, because a lot of that phase two is built to protect the margin, protect the company. And so companies are often hesitant to put prices out there that don't require a touch internally, because if I put it out too high, then no one's going to buy on it. And if I put it out too low, <clears throat> maybe I'm going to miss some of that upside. Uh, but what some of our customers have found is that the uh, their customers are actually willing to pay a premium if you get that price out there quickly. And so there's there's a premium that people are willing to pay for a simple, easy-to-transact price. And so I think this, you know, your audiences in the product management area. It's something to think about of, you know, are you are you slowing down the pricing process um, how much price variation do you want to have out there uh, how do you get prices out more quickly you know dealing with all the different segments that you have I you know, that's the next phase that we see we and we believe will be a source of competition for a lot of companies of in addition to the product and all the other great things that you do it's how how you what's the customer experience and and how does pricing play into that? And I think a lot of companies are going through these digital transformation initiatives and, and all that. But if you've got prices, if, if pricing is kind of the long pole in the 10, if you can't solve that, it makes it difficult to really deliver on that customer experience, especially when I, you know, if you look at HP, you know, they could have done had the whiz bang, Quoting an online system, but if it still took sixty-eight percent of the time in the quote to get the price, well, they wouldn't they really wouldn't have reduced that quoting time to any significant degree.
0: Yes, yeah. So, Craig, what does Prose do, and how does that fit into this whole pricing technology space? And can we can we try to make it understandable to our our audience?
1: <laughs> right. Sure. Yeah. And Prose has a Um, different aspects of what we provide. And uh, we put it under the umbrella of, we call it modern commerce. And I think it goes back to that last phase that we talked about of focusing on the customer experience and the importance of time, that it's it's much broader than pricing of the, the benefit of technology. And so if you think about modern commerce, what that means is, okay, if it's a negotiated sale, uh, delivered through, uh, managed through Salesforce. How do you, how do you inform the salesperson around pricing, so they're making the right decision? Or if you're going through e-commerce, how do you set that price online and adjust that dynamically based on the customer? And so it's not, you know, e-commerce or digital commerce. We we call it modern commerce because it encompasses all of the different ways of selling and And our core competence is it's powered through dynamic pricing science, and so we believe that delivering the promise of digital transformation of modern commerce, you have to solve this pricing uh, issue so that's a that's a high umbrella. If you think of how you know how do you make that happen? There's various components of pricing technology that fit into there. So at a very basic level, you need to be able to manage your price and deliver that to your ERP systems or your sites. And so, you know, that can get very complex if you've got hundreds or thousands or hundreds of thousands of SKUs that are out there. So there's a uh, price management aspect to be able to execute those prices. So we, we provide that. The second aspect is uh, the measurement around pricing. And so um, it's, you think about it as business intelligence software, but it's but it's purpose-built from a pricing standpoint, and it's um, it's important because we we have measures that also incorporate the pricing science. So we'll look at uh, pricing opportunity relative to what you know you should be charging, not necessarily you know what you charge, but what you should be charging. And so we do all the fancy graphs and things that you can do in business intelligence, but it's purpose-built uh, from a pricing viewpoint. Uh, The next access uh, um, Uh, area.
0: Craig, can I interrupt for just a second? Yep. But you know, there's a term that we, you and I use a lot and I don't think we've defined it for our audience. And that's this phrase, pricing science. Yep. What does that mean?
1: So the way that um, pricing science fits into it, and I was going to get that as as part of the next uh, product, (laughs) which is, uh, we we call it guidance. And um, it's, the way to think about it, if you've got a hundred salespeople that are out there, and you're selling a product, and you've got, you know, a couple thousand transactions that are happening, uh, what science is, if you think of a salesperson that's out there, it's a very lonely job. They're using their own experience, judgment about negotiating that price that's out there, but it misses the collective experience and judgment of the other hundred salespeople that are out there negotiating the same thing. So the first part of pricing science is to, you look at the experience of all of the transactions that are happening and you try to understand and use statistics to say, well, what's driving willingness to pay? Is it location? And is it the size of customer? Is it uh, how they're buying? So maybe this one product is a small portion of the sales and another product is a large portion of sales. And so over the years, we have over 100 different attributes that we can look at and we use the statistics and the uh, machine learning algorithms to understand what are the things that drive willingness to pay. Now, you can then supplement that with outside information so, for example, in oil and gas, we'll bring in competitive data, uh, we'll bring in weather data, other outside information, either about the customer, about the time, uh, the location that can help inform that. And so what pricing science does is it it uses all that information to figure out, at the end of the day, what is the willingness to pay on that product at that a given point in time. So that's what pricing science does. and and it's important you know to to do that right. And some companies ask, well, you know there's there's uh, kind of these general purpose machine learning algorithms that are out there. Can you apply that to it? In our experience, no, because there there's some things that you have to then uh, do with that information to look for outliers, for example, uh, of what the customer paid before versus what the science is recommending. And so you you sort of um, um, you manage the numbers that come out of the science to deliver it, to make sure it's relevant at that point in time. And um, and that's how you deliver. We often we don't deliver one price. It's a envelope of price. Here's the floor price. Here's the target price. And here's the expert price, Uh, because often there's a there's a range that that you can if you're within this range, you're likely going to win the deal. Uh, And if you can get the high end of the range, if you're a salesperson understanding that context, then, you know, you'll do even better. But the idea around science is essentially using the information on transaction history, on external information to figure out that willingness to pay.
0: Okay. And so what, just to reiterate or re-explain that, you essentially said we're going to take the past prices that people paid. We're going to take all the information that that company has gathered maybe information that we can find in the environment that was associated with that day or time or something. But we're going to take all this data and we're going to run statistical analyses so we could say these are the factors that are driving customers or at least predicting buyers' willingness to pay. Yep, And and that's fascinating, right? I mean, I think, I think that's the best part of this whole, whole story. Right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's exciting. There's uh, one example. There was a, uh, it was a, um, document storage company where you pay a subscription or there's various pricing models, but say you pay an amount per month to store documents. If you're a lawyer, you, know, you have old files in this company, they have security around documents. And we, when we met with them early, they, we asked them, well, what do you think of the attributes that drive willingness to pay? And they said, well, if a customer is using our service a lot, so say they have it in storage and they're coming in and out of the storage to get the documents, um, then uh, they're probably willing to pay more because they're using it more. And so when we ran the analysis, we found exactly the opposite, that the customers that kind of just left it there and forgot about it, maybe the service you know, wasn't top of mind, top of radar to... Get the attention, and you know, to put negotiation on annual price increases, and so they were the ones that were the least price sensitive, and so the facts sort of drove the insight about, you know, what what was driving customers' willingness
0: to pay. It it's amazing what data can tell you.
1: Yeah, <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter if um, you have great analysis and, and guidance if you can't deliver that. When a salesperson or even the customer is configuring the product and doing the quote, um, so we have a configure price quote solution and and we don't some of our customers use it. some we integrate with their own internal uh, configure price quote system. Um, and uh, but we do have the ability to also provide that full solution on configure price quote. Um, and um, you know we're adding some new things to it as well. so, the same data that's driving the pricing recommendation we're delivering uh, upsell and cross-sell recommendations so where where are there opportunities to get more revenue from the existing customer maybe they're they're not buying a product line that science tells you you should be buying and so it's delivering you know not just the pricing recommendation but um, a cross-sell upsell recommendation because a lot of the data needed to do that is what you need for pricing as well.
0: Yeah, and, and so the cross-sell upsell is fascinating. That's, that's more free revenue essentially, which yeah. is nice. Uh, and even before you got to the cross-sell upsell, what I was enjoying was, okay, now we're gonna do the quote deliver, I, I didn't get the right phrase in there. What was the phrase? Uh,
1: configure price quote.
0: Configure price quote. Uh, <laughs> we get the configure price quote thing, we automate that, and then we jump all the way back to the beginning of our conversation And that's how do we deliver prices faster to our customers or to our buyers? Exactly. So
1: exactly. And I'll give you an example of this. Um, We have a um, glass company that uh, if you think of selling glass, you know, this um, uh, company's been around for over 300 years. And if you're a construction worker and you're working on uh, you're doing a renovation and there's a glass shower door in the past, you would have to write down what are the specs you would send off by email to some of your suppliers to get quotes. They would come back with price and availability and when, when they can deliver. Um, what this company did is they have the full solution. So it's a, it's on a iPad or your phone. You can configure the size of glass that you need, the thickness, the coating, uh, you would get availability and pricing right away and you can order then. And if you think of the, the the customer experience a infinitely better customer experience because you don't have to wait for it, you get pricing right away and uh it's something that was was very successful for
0: them, yeah, and it doesn't as a customer if I put myself in those buyer shoes, it doesn't feel like I'm ordering this custom something because it's right there,
1: yeah so. yeah and I, and I would say you know one takeaway i I would propose for on the product management side is think of think of pricing as something that, as a product manager, you absolutely you know need to know it's important, you get involved in I'm sure you do today, need to manage it. Um, you know how are you sure that you're getting the most prices that are out there? So think of the the guidance and the <clears throat> the science around pricing because from a product management standpoint, those are the things getting, Uh, the highest possible price, winning the most amount of deals is going to allow you to pay for those future innovations. But I would also think of, you know, a company isn't just selling a product or a service, that they're selling a much broader experience. So think of maybe how your own group, how does that impact the speed of pricing to the customer that's out there? And how is, you know, is that going to become a more important attribute? And how do you make pricing simpler, faster, you know, better uh, than what it is today, because, you know, we've seen this and we see it happening now is that that's going to be an attribute of what you sell is is this customer experience that you deliver. And, it, and being involved in that and contributing to that improvement, it, there's room for improvement in your company, I think is incredibly important.
0: I, I think that's brilliant. Um, I often say that every customer touchpoint either makes or destroys value. Yeah. And so, absolutely. you know, pricing is delivering pricing is pricing is what's going to capture however much value we deliver. But if our delivering pricing destroys value, that kind of defeats the purpose.
1: Yep, exactly.
0: <laughs> well, Craig, thank you so much for your time today. If anyone wants to contact you, how can they do that?
1: Uh, sure. They can uh, feel free to reach out to me uh, directly. It's uh, c zawada at pros.com so c then z-a-w-a-d-a at pros.com uh, or you you can visit our website at pros.com pro
0: perfect and we'll link that to our show notes as well and to our listeners i hope you enjoyed that as much as i did uh, we'd love to hear from you we welcome any questions suggestions especially any compliments Uh, Please send your comments to experts at pragmaticmarketing.com. And don't forget to join us for the next episode of Pragmatic Live.